Church family, if you got your Bible, open to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, last week, we left off in Revelation 4. We saw that Revelation, it's like a pair of polarized Ray-Bans for our world. Right? This book allows you to see our world in a perspective that you might not have had before. Because here's the thing, all of us look at this world with some kind of pair of glasses on. All of us. We've all got a certain way that we see the world. Like some people tend to look at the world with tourist glasses on. You look at the world as kind of a, a place that will make your life more comfortable, more enjoyable. Uh, these kinds of people, they just want to drink margaritas by the pool, maybe catch a few surf sessions, and basically just let the world take care of itself. Maybe that's you. You look, look at the world with nice tourist sunglasses on. Or other people look at the world with business glasses on. They're looking for ways to make a profit off of the world. They're always looking for new ideas, new opportunities. They're always looking out for the next hustle. Maybe that's how you look at the world. Other people look at the world with police glasses on. They see the world really as this dangerous place, and so they're always on patrol, always looking for ways to secure things and defend things and control things. And one of these sets of glasses is probably how you look at the world. Maybe you, you, you mix it up between a few of them. But then when you start reading Revelation, you start looking at the world with a different pair of glasses on. You start looking at the world with spiritual glasses on, kind of like the Pope. We had to get the Pope in there somehow. It's surprisingly hard to find a picture of the Pope with sunglasses on. I really had to search long and hard for that picture. Uh, but when you start reading Revelation, you start to see the world through spiritual lenses that allow you to see that there's a spiritual world beyond this physical world that influences and shapes everything about this physical world. All right, we can take the Pope off now. He's distracting all of you. I know. You see with these spiritual glasses how God has a plan for the world, and he's carrying out that plan for the world how he's ruling over the world. Last week in Revelation 4, we saw this really well. John, he, he had a door open for him into heaven, which means heaven isn't on the other side of the universe. It's right here, right all around us right now. But John was allowed to put on a pair of spiritual glasses that allowed him to see. When the, the curtain was pulled back, he got this incredible vision of God on his throne ruling over the universe, ruling over our lives. And we're just going to see more of that in Revelation 5. The vision continues. So let's go. Revelation 5, starting in verse 1. John says, Then I saw on the right hand of the one seated on the throne. After he got this incredible vision of God on the throne, he says, I saw in his right hand was a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. Okay, so in those days... When you wrote your last will and testament, you would roll it up on the scroll and seal it with seven seals. Oh, that tells us something about what we're seeing here. And then after you died, there would be seven people, and each one of them would open one of the seals of your scroll, and they would carry out the contents of your will. They'd carry out your plan for the estate. They were basically the, the executors of your estate. So this scroll, this is God's last will and testament. This is what he wants to see happen with his estate, which is the whole world. This is his plan to make right what's wrong with the world, to judge all the wickedness in the world, to end all the suffering in the world, 
This is God's secret plan to build a whole new world. A world that's based on this world, but so much better than this world. This is his plan. Don't you want to know what's in that plan? Don't you want to know what God wants to see happen in this world and will see happen in this world? Yeah, I want to know. The angels want to know too. Look at verse 2. It says, I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. Mighty angel with a loud voice because he is announcing this to the whole universe. He's asking this question to everybody in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Everybody. He's saying, is there anybody who qualifies, anybody who's worthy to break the seal and be the executor of God's will? Is there anybody worthy to reveal God's plan and, and carry out God's plan? Is there anybody worthy to save the world from itself? There's got to be somebody out there who's worthy to do this. But verse 3, it says, No one in heaven or on earth or, or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even look in it. And John says, I wept and I wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. No one. No man. No woman. No angel. No ruler. No one who can save us. Nobody. I mean, maybe we can save ourselves in some limited degree. Maybe we can save ourselves from an asteroid. We just found that out. We sent a rocket a million miles away. I don't know how far it was. A billion miles away, however far away it was. And we nudged an asteroid off of its course. So now we can save ourselves from an asteroid. That's great. Maybe we can save ourselves from global warming if we all go, down, go out and, and drop 60 grand on an electric car. Maybe we can do that. Maybe we can save the world from, from World War III if we can just get Russia and Ukraine and, and China and Taiwan to play nice. Maybe. But those are all just little Band-Aid fixes. They don't solve the problem long term. The world is going downhill. And we can't stop it. This universe is going downhill. We can't stop it. The second law of thermodynamics says all of the energy in the universe is going from usable energy to unusable energy, and eventually it'll all be unusable. It'll all be used up. We've got no hope. There's no hope for this world. There's no hope for humanity. That's why John is weeping and weeping. And family, we need to sit with him in this hopelessness. For a minute. I tend to be an optimist. I tend to think everything will just work out okay by itself. That's kind of how I tend to think. That's not at all what the Bible says. Not even close. The Bible says everything doesn't work out okay. Not, not by itself. Everything rusts. Everything decays. Everything corrodes. Everything corrupts by itself. And there's nothing we can do about it. I should weep over the hopelessness of this world. John is weeping and weeping and weeping and weeping over the hopelessness of this world. He's mourning until somebody intervenes. Look at what happens in verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, don't weep. Don't weep. Look, 
the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He's conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Okay, so there's someone from the tribe of Judah from the family of David. I wonder who that could be. Someone who's strong and mighty and fierce like a lion. The lion, he, he's the king of the jungle, the king of the savannah. He has conquered that territory. He runs these streets. There's nobody going to mess with him. Nobody going to challenge the lion. He can do what he wants. He's a lion. And so this elder says to John, turn around. He's, he's behind you. This one who's worthy to carry out the plan of God for the universe, he's a lion, and he's standing right behind you. Turn around and look. But then when John turns around and looks, what he sees isn't at all what he expected. And this moment right here, you can't miss this, this moment is huge. What John sees in this moment is going to change everything about how we see everything here on earth. He's expecting to turn around and see a roaring lion ready to bite your head off. But instead, verse 6, he says, Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb. A slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He was expecting to see a lion. Instead, he sees a lamb. And it's not like this Lion was sitting there, and he got replaced by a lamb. That's not what's happening here. The lion is a lamb, and not even just any lamb. Not an adult lamb. The word John uses here is really specific. This is a baby lamb. The conquering lion is a slaughtered baby lamb. And that picture right there, that sums up the entire Bible right there. The entire Bible is summed up in that picture. The roaring lion came to conquer the world and he accomplished that when he was slaughtered on the cross. Jesus conquers his enemies by dying for his enemies. And so from the time of his first coming until the time of his second coming, victory isn't won by the sword. Victory is won by sacrifice. That's what the Lamb is telling us. That's something we always got to remember. Because family, it is tempting for Christians to want to fight. To want to fight and scrap and gain power by any means necessary so we can bring the kingdom of God to bear on our human kingdom. But the victory doesn't come by the sword, at least not right now. It comes by sacrifice. That's what the Lamb is telling us. John says, this baby lamb, this slaughtered lamb, is standing in the middle of everything, right in the center. He's in the middle of the living creatures. That's the center of creation. He's in the middle of the 24 elders. That's the center of humanity. He's in the middle of the throne. That's the center of God's presence. The slaughtered lamb is at the center of God's heart, the center of God's power, the center of God's plan. That's why he's the only one who's worthy to open the scroll. He's the only one who has the wisdom and the power of God. That's what John's saying at the end of verse 6 when he says he had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. Eyes, that's a symbol of wisdom. Horns, that's a symbol of power. And this baby lamb has seven of each. That's a symbol of completion, perfection. So Jesus has complete wisdom, 
and complete power, and he unleashes it across the whole earth through his Holy Spirit. That's the seven spirits. What's happening in heaven is influencing everything that happens here on earth. What happens in heaven doesn't stay in heaven. It influences us and everything about our lives. Keep going in verse 7. It says, this lamb, he went and he took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. What a great image that is. Think about that. The incense is the prayers of the saints. It's the prayers of God's people. You and me. So when you pray, you're not speaking on some direct, secure line that just goes between you and God. When you pray, your prayers are floating up to heaven like incense, and, and they're encouraging everybody in heaven. Same, same when you sing. I think that's what the harps are all about. When you sing in worship, like we were singing this morning, the strings on the harps in heaven just start reverberating. They start playing all by themselves. When you sing, you are changing heaven. What you do here on earth makes a difference in heaven. You're encouraging the angels and the saints in heaven. You're encouraging all your aunties and uncles who put their faith in Jesus and now they're with Jesus. You're encouraging them right now by what you're doing right here. Here's the effect you're having. Look at verse 9. In response to the prayers of God's people, it says, they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. That's what they're singing to the Lamb in heaven. You are worthy. You're worthy. And so we, we got to ask ourselves, okay, why is he worthy? Is he worthy because he's lived forever? Is he worthy because he's the creator and the sustainer of the universe? Is he worthy because he rose from the dead? Yes, yes, and yes, but that's not what they're singing about. That's not the first thing that comes to their minds. All the hosts of heaven saying you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered. You're worthy because you were slain. And you purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on earth. He is worthy because he was slaughtered. That's what he did. And because he purchased us. That's why he did it. And because he made us a kingdom and priest. That's the result of what he did. And family, that right there, that's the mission of Harbor Church. All wrapped up in a nice, tidy little package. That's it. Our mission is to be a place of refuge and redemption and resurgence. That's what we want to see God do here. Because Jesus purchased us to give us refuge, and Jesus was slaughtered to give us redemption, and now Jesus is sending us out as priests to bring this kingdom resurgence. That's what he's doing right now. And this kingdom that he's building, here's the amazing thing. It's not a kingdom just made up of one ethnic group like it was before. This is a multi-ethnic group from every tribe and language and people and nation. 
And so family, this kingdom is made up of Hawaiians and Samoans and Tongans and Micronesians. It's made up of Chinese, Japanese, Filipino. It's made up of African, Hispanic, Latino, and Haole. It's made up of every person from every tribe and nation who puts their trust in Jesus Christ. And this is why the lion became a lamb, to transform sinful and selfish people like us into saints, to, to unite helpless and hopeless and divided people like us into a kingdom of priests. And so that's why he's worthy to unseal the scroll. That's why he's worthy to rule the universe. That's why he's worthy of all praise and honor and glory. That's it right there. And so that's why, verse 11, John says, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. This praise that started with us, that drifted up into heaven like incense, that got the, the creatures and the elders singing, now it's reverberating. Many angels around the throne, also of the living creatures and of the elders, their number was countless thousands, plus thousands of thousands. They said with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Before they were praising him for what he did, now they're praising him for who he is and what he has. That's a progression that should always happen. This week in community group, we were talking about this question of, do we usually feel led to worship God because of what he has done or more because of who he is? Which one usually leads you to just spontaneously praise God? Most of us, almost all of us said, that's eh, what he's done. It's when we see him, like, deliver us from something or provide for us in some way, that's when we're led to worship him. But... When you reflect on what he's done, just for a minute, then you start to really get a good idea of who he is. Because what he does reflects his character and his abilities. And so that's what you're seeing in heaven. They started out worshiping him for what he did, but as they reflect and think and pray and marinate in what he's done, everybody in heaven now is praising Jesus for who he is and what he has power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. That's seven attributes, the number of completion, because he's got all of these things completely and perfectly. And family, that is such good news for people who are going through tough times in life. People like the, the suffering Christians in the seven churches that John was writing to. When life is tough, I know it's natural for us to try and look for something to do about it, right? I should do something to, to try and deal with it. Either we try and change the situation, but if we can't change the situation, then we're like, well, maybe, maybe I should just work on my mindfulness. That'll help me get through this thing. Or maybe I should stay hydrated and eat clean, and if I, if I have good health, then I'll have a good attitude towards this thing. If you're a Christian, then you're like, well, maybe I should work on my spiritual disciplines. That'll get me through this thing. Well, when the seven churches in the province of Asia were going through the ringer, God didn't give them something to do. He gave them something to see. He didn't give them something to do. He gave them something to see. He, he pulled back the curtain of heaven 
so they could see the majesty and the glory of God on his throne so they could see him carrying out his plan through the lion who became the lamb. When life was tough, what God did was to give them spiritual glasses so they could see the world a whole new way. And I think he wants to do the same thing for you right now. He wants to give you a whole new outlook on life that'll change everything about your life. That's what he wants to do here in Revelation 5. Here's the new outlook that God wants to give you on life. Here it is. Number one, success isn't supreme. Success isn't supreme. Because if the only worthy person in the universe, if the person who's at the center of creation, at the center of the universe, is a slaughtered baby lamb, what does that tell you? It tells you that success in life isn't everything in life. It can't be. Most of us, we are all about success either experiencing success or at least projecting success, right? That's what social media is all about, projecting success. So a few people got tired of that, so they decided to, to create a whole new social media app. Be Real. I don't know if you've seen it. If you have teenagers or young adults, they've got it, okay? Just ask them about it. Be Real was created to, to take away all the fakeness of social media. What it does is it sends you an alert and you've got to take a picture within two minutes. And it takes both a front and back picture, and so it gets you and the surroundings around you. It's meant to strip away all the fakeness of the, the Insta-filtered you and give the world the real you. And if you don't take the picture within that two-minute slot, it'll, it'll tag that picture and tell everybody this was 10 minutes late, this was two hours late, this was 12 hours late, whatever it was. So when everybody started downloading this, I don't know, about a month ago is when it got really popular, Everybody was following the rules at first, taking pictures within two minutes. That lasted for about two days. After that, everybody started waiting until they were in better lighting, until they're out doing something fun with friends, and it just became just like every other social media app. Why? Because success is everything to us. Projecting success is everything to us. We want to be successful. We want to appear successful. But God didn't choose a thriving, successful lion to represent him, at least not during this age. He chose a slaughtered, suffering lamb, at least for right now. And so if the king of the universe wants to be known right now as a suffering, slaughtered lamb, why should we expect any different? Why should his subjects expect any different than that? We should expect suffering and defeat. And here's the good news. When we do experience it, we can be reassured we're not alone in it because our king still has the scars of his suffering and defeat on his hands and on his side. Success isn't supreme. It's not. But then at the same time, number two, meekness isn't weakness. Meekness isn't weakness because that lamb, he's humble and sacrificial, but he's still a lion at the same time. He's still a lion. That lamb has seven horns and seven eyes, so he still has perfect wisdom and perfect power. He's the smartest and the strongest person in the universe. He is omnipotent, omniscient. 
Yeah, he's the same one who said on the ser- in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the meek. But the Greek word for meek was used in ancient documents to, to describe a wild horse that had been tamed. A wild horse that had been tamed. So he didn't lose any of his fire, but he had it under his master's control. If you're meek, you haven't given up any of your strength. You still got lots of fire left in you, but you've put it under God's control. So he can help you put that fire to use in the right way, like defending the helpless and, and not in the wrong way. Like just looking out for yourself. Meekness isn't weakness. Maybe you've got a Defend Hawaii shirt. Don't mistake aloha for weakness. Same, same exact idea. Aloha, love, compassion, meekness, it's not the same as weakness. It's power used for the right purpose. So go out and use whatever power you've got. Use your power to help the helpless, to protect the powerless, to defend the defenseless. Meekness isn't weakness. And then number three, victory isn't variable. Victory is not uncertain. It's not doubtful. The victory has already been secured through the sacrifice of the lamb. And so now the lamb is sitting on the throne. The victory was won on the cross. Now that lamb is in charge. And so, yeah, if our king is a suffering slaughtered lamb, in the short term, we're going to expect suffering defeat, but not in the long term. Not in the long term. we got to expect victory because the tide of battle has been turned. The kingdom of light is advancing on the kingdom of darkness. It is just a matter of time until the victory is complete. Family, nothing can derail God's plan for this world and nothing can derail God's plan for your life. Not your parents, not your teacher, not your boss, not your spouse, not your kids, nobody. Nobody can derail God's plan for your life. Not the school who wouldn't admit you, not the company who wouldn't hire you, not the friend who wouldn't defend you, not the hottie who wouldn't date you. Nobody can derail God's plan for your life. Not even you. Not even you. So when you're sitting alone in the dark, wondering if you ruined your life by that thing that you did or that thing that you said or that thing that you pursued, you can remember Revelation 5 and remember the victory has been won. It is secure. The lamb is on the throne, and one day I'm going to sit on that throne with him. You're going to share the victory with this lion-like lamb. And so, family, what other response can we have? What else can we do but to praise God for all that he's done, all that he is, and all that he will do in our lives and in this world. What else can we do but praise him along with everybody else in the universe? I want you to close your eyes right now and just drink in. Just listen to how John closes out this chapter. He says, I heard every creature in heaven on earth, under the earth, on the sea, and everything in them say, blessing and honor and glory and power be to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. 
the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell, fell down and worshipped. And so, Lord, how can we do anything else but that? How can we do anything else but fall down at your feet and worship you? For what you've done on the cross to gain the victory and for who you are, gracious, sacrificial, humble, and at the same time strong, bold, fierce, and courageous. Help us to worship you this week with our lives, with our words, with our relationships, living in light of your victory through your sacrifice. Thank you that there is someone worthy to save us, save this world, and to bring heaven to earth. It's in Jesus' name we pray.